This is the Commonwealth City Church Podcast. Thanks for listening. Commonwealth is a church in Lexington, Kentucky. For more info, visit our website at commonwealthcitychurch.com and follow us on Instagram at comcitychurch. We hope you enjoy the message. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who, is, he, he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, but because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Hey, Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Father, for the beauty of this text. I thank you for that, that conclusion. I, I don't think I'll ever get over that. It's the, one of those phrases in your word that feels like it's just, makes me gasp every time that he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. Thank you for the story that you've written, the one you're continuing to write. Thank you for the unveiling that is happening on each of our hearts right now. I ask you for the ultimate unveiling of anyone in this room that doesn't know you. May they come to faith 
in the finished work of the cross and your resurrection today. May today be the day of salvation. In your name. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. All right. Welcome. And uh, for those of you who, who have been here kind of following along with us over the summer, you, you may be thinking something um, to yourself right now. And this is you've, you showed up at, during the Psalm series. In the summer, we spend the months of June and July in the book of Psalms. And I love getting to take psalms, put it to music. I love doing that. And you, you might be thinking, Kurt, I don't know if you know much about your Bible, but 2 Corinthians is actually not in psalms. I do know that. I do. I'm aware of that. Um, one thing I love to do is every summer, as we, as we take the Word of God and we sing it back to the Father and we try to memorize it as a community, I love finding like a couple of texts. This, this year we've got nine, or nine uh, weeks in the summer, so we're going to do Matthew 28, 18 through 20 here in a couple of weeks. But I love to take um, primarily Psalms, normally six or seven, and then take the other times and either take something from the New Testament or something from the prophets and sing back another section of Scripture. And this one I've been singing for a long time, about a decade or so. If anyone is in Christ, he's brand new. The old is gone, the new has come. And uh, recorded this years ago. And it was one of those where oh, it was a room full of people, mostly college students downtown in Lexington, and we just yelled. I mean, it was like, like there was no one hit the note. You know, nobody, n- nobody was even remotely close to like actually hitting the note in the key that the song was written. And that was perfect because sometimes there's some truths that the Word of God gives us that they don't need to be clean and pretty. This is one of those that in desperation our hearts are perpetually being made aware by the Spirit of God that we are new in Christ by nothing of our own effort. This is all my hope and peace, nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my righteousness, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Um, we're going to spend today looking at 2 Corinthians 5. I'm also going to give you, a, we're going to get the chance to hear a couple of testimonies. Um, we'll conclude today with a, a baptism video. Um, before that, we're going to get to hear from my mom, who just had a really cool moment of culmination. 20 years of prayer kind of culminated in a, in a unique uh, moment of awareness through a Google search this week that I'm going to let her tell you about. Um, before we do, I also want to remind us that we're two weeks away, two weeks away from family camp. If you don't know what family camp is, is there a, a slide for it? There will be a um, family camp happens every summer and is, is, is just awesome. It's right down the road, right down Tate's Creek Road, not too far from here. And this is not, this is not mean that you have to have like the cultural definition of family. If you are here and you call this place family, or if you're here and you really wish you had a place that felt more like family, this is for you. July 28th through the 30th, text that number, 859-495-2800, text FAMILY CAMP. No, um, no spaces in between FAMILY CAMP to that number. You'll get more information by signing up. also want to remind us that, like we said earlier, we've, we love to worship by song. We love to worship through the reading of the text, by prayer. I love to worship by the time that you spend after church, just hanging out with one another. And we also worship by giving of our resources that God has given to us. So don't want to skip past an opportunity to remind us that obedience to the Father looks like pouring into and investing in His kingdom in a variety of ways. And there are ways to do that here at Commonwealth City Church. And so if, you would, um, if you'd like to, to donate, there's invest boxes in the back or there's a way that you can just give online too that I think we have a slide for that as well. Let me see. 
There we go. There it is. Yeah, see, I knew, I knew we had one of those. But now I get to introduce Grammy Pammy. Ooh-hoo. Also known as Pam Vernon. And this is my mom. And I was thinking about it today as we're talking about newness of life. There's an incredible gift that my parents have given to me. My dad's in Honduras with the team right now. And my mom is here. And they, you know, they came to faith in Jesus in 1980 from a pretty wild background. And when they came to faith in Jesus, the, the great gift that I think they gave to my sister and I was that I grew up in a pastor's home. You know, Dad was a drug dealer a couple years before I was born, I guess, and then pastor by the time I got here on earth, which was, I, I, I love that. I love that I came after that transition had happened. But a lot of times when you grow up in pastor's homes, I told people, um, being a pastor's kid, there, there comes a, it's a set of risks with that. Because like there's a lot about church or Christianity that can become kind of obligatory. There can be like the, the fake smile, you know, that you just put on on Sunday mornings. I remember when mom and dad decided they had to start driving in separate cars on the way to church because it was just making it too easy for the devil. Because if they rode in the same car, they would, would not normally go well. And the enemy would take opportunity to make the Sunday morning not pleasant by the time you arrived at church. But, but growing up in the home of Butch and Pam Vernon gave me one of the greatest gifts. And I've noticed it now after years and years of ministry and a whole lot of interaction with pastor's kids. They gave me a gift that I find has been very rare in other people that have grown up in ministry homes. As there was nothing obligatory about this woman's faith. And there was nothing obligatory about my dad's faith. What I saw from them was authentic. I've never known Sunday morning Christianity. I've heard about it. I've heard rumors of it. I've been terrified of it because it sounds terrible. And if you're currently living that, I don't say that as a condemnation. I say, I say that to let you know there's a better. And I saw Monday through Saturday Christianity just like I saw Sunday morning Christianity through my mom and dad. And the testimony you're about to hear um, began, I guess, right when I was in high school um, that culminated this week. And so be encouraged. Be encouraged by her testimony of newness of life. Lord, you heard all of that, and I turn it all back to you. All of that is for your glory. Whatever is good in me is God in me. And you receive all glory. All glory in the presence of all of us. It is all you. Everything is about you. Please, Lord, you are the only farmer who can plant and harvest in the same day. And I ask that all that goes on here today, that as you plant, you will harvest. In your blessed name we pray. Amen. Last week, we had the privilege of listening to Brian walk us through what it's like to wait on the Lord, to be given specific scripture, and then just let it saturate your moments and your steps. And that is absolutely an ideal. Today, the testimony that I'm going to give and share with you is a little different. I'm going to walk you through what some specific steps looked like as Butch and I sought after God's will in where the Lord was choosing for us to live. Now, let me say we take this very seriously because the first house that we purchased, 
God proved to us that we did not seek him well enough to know where he wanted us to live. Acts 17, 26, and 27 is very clear. He's chosen exactly where we should live and exactly when we should live there. So we patiently wait on the Lord as he gives us direction. But I thought this story kind of, for me, ended in March of 2000. And as Kurt said, it had an exclamation mark put on it this week that I get to share with you. So before I tell it, I want to begin by saying that if you know me well, you know that there are thoughts that go through my head, and I think they could be specific direction from God. God says, I will show you the path of life. God says, whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way. Walk in it. God says that he has a, his own vision to share with us. And so when I am heavily in the word and heavily in prayer and seeking after the Lord, and I hear things that could be specific direction, I test them. If they're not sin, I test them by doing them or by going to the Lord more for prayer and specifics. So in uh, the beginning of the year 2000, we knew the Lord was beginning to stir in us that we were to move from the home we were in and buy a different home. So one day I'm coming home from work and I sense this prompting, turn down this street. I look, it's Platt Drive. I'm like, okay. There's no reason for me not to do that. I drive down the street, no for sale signs whatsoever. Next week, I hear the exact same thing when I get to Platt. And honestly, in my head, I'm thinking, you know, I turned down the street last week, Lord. There was nothing. Turned down the street. What did I find? A for sale by owner sign. So I pull off the road, write down the number, and Mr. Kinder, who owns the house, pops out of the house onto his sidewalk. And he says, hey, you're writing down the number. You want to come in and see the house? And I'm like, well, I guess so. And so I get out of the car, go to the door. And when I stand in the door, I see a picture in my head. And this picture is of all kinds of young people, and they're in this house, and I could tell they had come for Bible study. And it was overwhelming to me. The, I just kind of froze for a moment. I came in, looked at the house, went home and said to Butch, honey, you're going to have to go with me to look at it the next time, and we're going to have to ask the Lord to give you clarity because this picture I saw was so clear that I have to hear a no through you to think this isn't our house. So we went back to look at it. Our, um, one of my good friends, Sissy, went with us. We walked in, and um, they walked in, and they sat on couches. And I walked in, no kidding, just plopped down in the middle of the floor. Mrs. Kinder, the other owner, came to me and said, Pam, would you like to have a seat on a chair? And one would think that I would say yes, and I went, no, I'm fine right here. And even in my own mind, I'm like, what am I doing? But anyway, so Butch sees the house. We determine through prayer that this is where God wants us. 
I already knew that Mr. Kinder was asking 118000 for the house. Don't let that throw you that you could buy a 1,500-square-foot home for that price. But, um, but when I already knew that, and as we continued to pray, and he was going to put together a contract, I sensed this prompting in my head. Um, he'll, he's asking 118, but he'll take 113, but I want him to have 115,000. I'm like, gosh, I got to test that. That's got to be from the Lord, though. It would never come to me to just hand over an extra $2,000. And so Butch and I prayed into it, and we got there to do the contract the next time. And um, Mr. Kinder has the thing out, and he goes, you know I'm asking 118, but I will accept 113,000. And I went, I know you would, but let me tell you what. I really sense the Lord wants you to have 115,000, Butch and I do, and so we refuse to give you less than that. You should have seen the look on his face. Now understand, his wife had already told me he's not a believer. I pray for him all the time, but he's not a believer. So it made a huge impact on him. But the Lord wanted him to have this. We signed the contract. Mrs. Kinder said, Pam, can you come into the kitchen with me for a minute? I go, sure. And she said, I need to tell you something now that you're sure this is the house. I was unwilling to do it before because I didn't want to influence you. And she said, but I had a dream when we put the house on the market. And um, in the dream, a blonde woman bought the house. And I went, well, there you go. And she said, no, no, no. In the dream, the woman walked in my house, and instead of sitting on a couch or a chair, she plopped down in the middle of the floor. And she said, and I asked her, would you like to sit in a seat? And she said, nope, I'm fine right here. And she said, so that was the day that I knew this was the house God had prepared for you all, and I wanted just to confirm that. So I told that story to my mom and my mother-in-law this week. I guess I'd never told it, the incredibleness of God. And mom said, so do you know anything about the kinders? And I'm like, no, I don't. I mean, I can't remember their first names. And so I realized, oh, I've got the contract still. So I looked up their first names, as Kurt said. I put it into the search engine. And the very first thing that came up was Mr. Kinder's obituary. So he died 19 years after he sold the house to us four years ago. And this is the exclamation mark at the end of this. So if you read obituaries regularly, and when you're my age, you do, because you have friends that pass away a lot, and um, it, it gives descriptions of people. And the very first thing it said about Mr. Kinder was, Dallas loved giving testimony about Jesus. So he came to know the Lord. This is just so beautiful. And you know, this is not about, oh, we gave him $2,000 and that made the difference. This was about his wife's and family's prayer life. But this is about God directing our steps 
how very willing he is to make things clear if we patiently wait on him and just continue to ask him to make himself clear. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Man, I love the power of testimony. Um, I don't know if y'all have ever heard an explanation given of the word testimony, what it means in the, um, in the original language in Scripture, but a, a fair interpretation of it would be a do-it-again story, a story that builds expectation that when you hear God has done something in another, your expectation that he might do it in you would rise. And that's why I love, I love the testimony that we have of Scripture. But this is a book, this is a book that intends to rewrite your own story. It intends to rewrite the way that you live and the things that happen in you. One of my favorite prayers to pray is to say, Lord, will you make me living proof of the truth of the gospel? Um, a little this is a little intense way to say it, but I always ask him, like, Lord, I want to live in such a way that atheism drops dead in front of me. And I think that's a fair prayer. And I think he likes saying yes to that prayer. And I think that's what stories like that do, you know. So Second uh, Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. We're going to see newness of life reenacted in obedience to baptism here in a little bit on a video. Before we do, I want to I invite all of us to have a baptism Sunday. I want to invite all of us to recognize what the Father wants to be doing in your heart and in mind. I had the opportunity the last little bit to um, have some friends who work at a facility in Richmond, Kentucky. That's, um, it's not really necessarily a ministry. It's a, just a facility that works with folks who are um, walking through eating disorders. And, man, it is it has been beautiful to see the just day in, day out investment these folks are making in young people's lives. And uh, we've gotten to be over there a, f a few times here lately. It's not a Christian um, necessarily institution, but when they're, they get to know the people and when there's like an openness um, to the reality of the gospel, then they'll kind of say, hey, you're free to kind of come in and talk as openly as you want. You know, so I've gotten to go in there a few times and really just... To just tell them what God sees in them. And it's a pretty profound thing to, to see people whose lives have been very, very broken down by a lack of awareness of what the Father sees in them. You know, I know, that, I know that's true in here. Like, I know all of us have some level of the brokenness of sin that has affected our lives in a myriad of ways. But one thing that's unique about an eating disorder is that it's so present on the outside. So sitting in those rooms, seeing people that, that just the effects of, this, of, the effects of sin are not hidden um, you know, in, in those spaces. And it has been a beautiful gift for me, to, first of all, to see the consistent day in, day out. Um, these, these folks are just are, are loving these young people so well. But I've gotten to go in. They've had me come in to, to speak at the commencement ceremony. It's usually just a few of them. I've done it a couple times now. And the commencement is after they've walked through a number of weeks of learning to see themselves rightly. They work through a lot of very you know, practical medical recovery, but then also a lot of mental recovery. And I get to come in at the end and just tell them what God thinks about them. 
And it has been an unbelievable gift to me. Um, I've noticed even the way I've, I find myself thinking about um, these simple truths in a lot, in some different ways. And part of it's been because I recognize that while my sin may not have the exterior effects that are as visible and unavoidable as some of the folks I sit in those rooms with, like they're just as present. One thing I've heard the Lord say to me before is, Kurt, I know a version of you you've never met yet. I love that thought. He knows a version of me that I've never met. He knows a version of you that you've never met. This isn't like, it, I think sometimes I have this thought that like, well, God knows me deeply, but if he knew what I knew, and guys, it's just not truth. He knows a version of you that makes your own relationship with what you see in the mirror an acquaintance by comparison. You don't have dibs on an understanding of your heart. You do not have a monopoly on knowing who you are and how you are and why you are. He does. He knows you better than you know yourself. He's known you longer. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. His relationship with you predates conception. He knows you. And so when he says, I love you, it means something far weightier than when you simply love yourself or when you're loved by another. And one thing I want to do is just as we, as we wrestle just with these two, I'm just going to look at these two verses. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And then 21, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. New creation. Are you new? I asked you to think about that as we came in this morning. Are you new? And how are you new? And where are the places you long to be made new a little bit further? One thing I've noticed about, about my, my own conception of myself is that I underestimate on both sides. I underestimate how far I am from God without him. Oftentimes, I, we've talked about this a lot of times on Sunday mornings up here on this stage, but it's worth saying again, like, it's very easy for me to assume that I'm, I'm a decent guy. Like culturally that I have like a, maybe, maybe like an innate compulsion towards more morality than those around me. A lot of times that's kind of, though if you had to ask somebody from the outside how to describe church people or people that would have like a, a moral root system in the way that they live, they might say something like that. And then what happens is that if that's true of me, and then I come to faith in the saving work of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, then all Jesus has become is a really, really nice addition. That I, I could be a good guy that God made great. But if I'm just a good guy that God made great, then the father becomes a really, really terrible dad to have allowed all that to happen to his son to rewrite the story of humanity, to be gloriously interrupted by the gospel just to simply improve us. So we can't say that. We have to make sure we're always warring against those thoughts in our mind. And what that means is that we have to do the hard work of staring at the reality of who you are without the gospel first. And you are far worse than you are ever going to assume.
Now, I say that, and we can say, yes, I know. Like, oh, man, I, I know the things that I've done. But here's the deal. You, you have no idea what you would be without the provenient grace of God. Like, one thing, I, I love praying this prayer. I'm 39 right now. I'll be 40 here at the end of the summer. And I love telling the Lord, I'm like, all right, Lord, I love I love that you saved me from becoming the 39-year-old version of myself I would be without you. And the truth is, even then, though, even then, if I can admit, like, oh, man, I can kind of imagine, what would I be if I'd never encountered the gospel? Like, man, I, I can think of the things that I would have done. I can think of sins I may have committed. But when he talks about us being evil at the core, it's not a matter of our behavior. It's not like the things we could have done or stumbled into. No, no, it's at the core of you. At the core of you, you desire yourself above everyone else until God comes in and gives you the ability to even think remotely different than that. At your core, at your core, because hell is not just judgment and punishment for sin. Hell is fair. Now, when I hear that, that's kind of like a, oh, man, I, that does not market well. You know, let's be honest. But, guys, you don't understand the gospel until you sit and stare at that. Hell is not... Ooh, really terrible consequence to sin. Oh, it's not just eternal punishment to those who are living contrary to God who have done bad things. No, hell is fair. Hell is the ultimate conclusion of what the word justice means. Hell is fair. And then, unfairly and unjustly, the grace of God comes in to do a thing in you and me that we could never do. Now, this is where the, this is where the beauty comes in. is that I, I'm not a decent guy that God made better. I'm wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, naked. That's the verbiage that's used in Revelation chapter 3, even describing those who are in the church of Laodicea. Guys, I... Everything about me is gross, offensive, and opposed to God until, until the renewing work of the Spirit of God comes to do a thing in me that I could never do without Him. He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us. I was telling some folks the other day, I remember I used to have, there was a skit that we used to do at um, FCA camp when I was a kid. Now, maybe y'all have seen it. It was something along the lines of like somebody would wear a, a big old, a big kind of handful of backpacks on their, on their back, and they would like come up on stage. It was like this big skit in front of everybody, and then they'd slowly like, you know, Jesus would come, and he'd take the, take the weight off of them, and it was like the weight of kind of laying your sin down. And I, I don't think that's a terrible metaphor at all, but... I remember it kind of built into my mind like, oh, yeah, Jesus kind of took my sin like a backpack to the cross. And then I was reading 2 Corinthians 5.21 one day. And I'm like, wait, wait, wait. That's not what that says. Like, he made him who knew no sin, he would never sin, became my sin. 
He became your sin. He personified lust. He became greed. He became the thing that you're so ashamed of that you try to never let it out of your subconscious mind. He became it. Became your sin. And then became it, murdered it, so that you and I would not just have our sins wiped away. Have you ever thought about this? Like, if all you did was get your sin wiped away, you would still spend an eternity away from the Father. Because what, what stands in the presence of God is not sinlessness. It's not a lack of sin. It's a presence of holiness. If all you do is get rid of your sin, you have no part in the kingdom of God. If all of you do is remove the thing that, was, that crippled you and the bad behaviors and the awful things and even your sin nature at the core, like that does not get you an audience with divinity. Holiness stands before God. And not general righteousness, not an absence of sin, and then a presence of some good behaviors. The only thing that stands before God is God's holiness imparted to you by the one who became your sin. So that you could become his righteousness. We sang something earlier. I won't approach with my head down at your throne. I'll come bold like I know I'm loved. I want to let you know. I want to let you know as we get to, in a second, we're going to see a video that gives testimony of the newness of life that a couple of young people have walked into and see them baptized. But I would ask you, because are you new? Are you new? Because what your newness of life must be rooted in is this understanding. He who knew no sin became your sin. Not so that you could not have to feel guilty in front of the Father so that you can approach the throne of grace with a confidence, what Hebrews 4 says. And when you approach, you are approaching with the righteousness of God. If you are a person who has come to faith in the finished work of his shed blood and his resurrection from the dead. So Jesus, I'm asking you as we even as we get to watch newness of life put on display through baptism. I love, Lord, I love that this was the act of obedience that you invited us into. To get into water, to be buried, and to come up brand new. It's wild, Lord. It's just a, I love it because it's so decisive. It's such a, that moment to go underneath water where I can't breathe. And to come up fresh and clean in essence, Lord, I, I love that symbolism. And I ask you that as we watch newness of life put on display through baptism, that you will invite us all into newness of life this morning. In your name.